My name is Dawson Hunt. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. It's my privilege to bring uh, the word to you this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 16. A miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the other God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You, my lot, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have set the Lord always before me. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to sheep's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. For you this morning, often we take this for granted, uh, living in America and a place in these words. And Father, we pray that you would uh, move this morning in our hearts, that we would uh, be our own. So no, I, uh, I went to seminary in St. Louis, and my, I don't know, I think I've mentioned this before, but my brother went to seminary. Uh, for him, we drove down uh, south of the seminary into Webster. It's like a small little uh, downtown area. If you can think about this, it's like a small downtown. So uh, we we um, are downtown area where all the area that we can. It's a little ice cream shop right there. And me, what do I do? Remember, this is a glass storefront. I walk straight up to the glass and I watch the storm. And I'm like, this is amazing. That's what rain looks like, right? The thing is, if you know about storms that are like that, you should not be near glass. I did not know that at the time, but you should not be there at all. You should be in the back of the store where there is shelter. And this is often what we do in life, right? Like we look for safety and refuge in places that actually don't provide it. Like at times, we unintentionally do it. We go up to the glass because we're desert rats and we don't know. But other times, we know. We know that there is safety in the back, and yet we stay in the front. Because we often take refuge in things outside of the Lord. We look to good things that are good in our life, but we find them ultimate, which many theologians have called idols of the heart. So the theme we're looking at today is that true refuge is found in the Lord alone. True refuge is found in the Lord alone. And I have an outline in your bulletin for you where we'll be going this we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6, which is commitment. David speaks about really what is a commitment to the Lord. And there's actually two options of commitment. We'll look at that. Secondly, we're going to be looking at confidence, which is the result of commitment to the Lord in verses 7 through 11. So first, kind of an introduction into Psalm chapter 16. This is a very famous psalm, uh, primarily because it is uh, quoted verbatim by the apostles Paul and Peter in the New Testament. They're both preaching sermons. And Peter, for David says concerning him, here's our text, I saw the Lord always before me, but he is at my right hand. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or let your Holy One be full of gladness with your presence. 
So here we see both Peter, this is Peter speaking here, we see Paul later on um, arguing that David's words apply to Jesus himself. And the logic behind this, and what a lot of theologians have said over the years, is that David's body was not the one that didn't see corruption, right? David died, his body decayed in the grave, but Jesus beat death. His body did not decay. Remember that Jesus uh, came out of the tomb on the third day, right? Before decaying would have begun. I think it's important when we come to a text like this, to, to, I was taught this, that it is actually, it is um, David who does Jesus things. It's not, G- I'm sorry, I don't want to mix this up. It's not David who does Jesus things. It's Jesus who does David things. And he will apply it to Jesus as well. So for us, what I'm trying to say, what I want you to see from this, is that this text today, these portions that are quoted in the New Testament, believers are the members of the covenantal community who seek refuge in him as an indication of his presence. We see throughout the scriptures, specifically now where we are in the context of the Old Testament, that God has faithful time and time again to the promises that he has made. He has kept, they're really indicating this. They're indicating submission. They know that good only comes from God. And so what does David do? He, he submits to the Lord. And the thing is that we want to see here is that this isn't a partial submission. This is a submission of the whole person. There is not a square inch in the whole dominion of human existence over which Christ, who is the Lord over all, does not exclaim, Mine. Everything in creation is Christ's. So for us today in the text, that's true about you and me, and that's our call, is our whole person should be dedicated to the Lord. So in verses 3 and 4, David goes on after he shows us this um, confidence that he had other gods shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So we see in verse 3 that David is saying that, yes, you need the first option is commitment to the Lord. But he doesn't stop there. He actually says it's commitment to the Lord and joyful acceptance of the saints. Now this term that he he uses here for saints is generally used in the Old Testament for angelic beings. But he adds in the land here. So we actually see that these are true believers who are following Jesus on earth. who uh, Who have brought themselves to a humble position before the Lord. So we've got to pause for a moment here, right? Like we would expect him to say, you can either follow or not follow God. But what he's saying is that you need to um, have a commitment to God and God's people. That's the first commitment. So he's saying that it is not only committing yourself to God, but the people of God who will sharpen you to grow closer to him. The second option is in verse 4, and that's running after other gods, running away from God or away from him. It's finding refuge and security in other things. It's really being committed to anything outside of the, of the Lord. And he doesn't, he doesn't speak too much about what that means, but he does speak about what the result is, right? So what does he tell us that the result is? The text tells us people who run away from, the God, from God to other gods, their sorrows will multiply. 
sorrows in this life and sorrows in life, the life to come. So the psalm is helping us to see the consequences of running away from God. And if you're like me, right, we, I, I need this every day. That I, I feel like I, I do my best to run towards God, but I still, I still have a propensity to run away, to run away. And, and I, I need a reminder that running away from God, it results in sorrows that multiply. I need a reminder of where my true refuge is. Let's go on in verse 5 through 6. Kind of conclude this section. He says this, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So you see, really, this is part of the result of following the Lord, right? So the language of, of cup and portion, these are metaphors for the Lord's sustenance, that he will care for his people. That's the first part of it. But then David goes on, and we see language that's reminiscent of the conquest in four words that are really important in this, in this, what we just read. Portion, dividing up the promised land that God had given to them, each tribe was given its portion of land by lot with clear boundary lines marking the borders of their land. This land was their inheritance to be passed down through the generations. So God gave this people an inheritance to be passed down through the generations. But if you know the Old Testament, you know that there was one tribe that did not receive a land portion. Right? The Levites were the priests. And God says to them in this, in Numbers 18.20, they say this, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. And this church, now, this is where we can relate here. Yes, we can be thankful for all the Lord has blessed us with, for how he has given us many gifts. At the same time, our true inheritance is not in the gifts that he provides, but in God himself. So like the Levites, we are given God himself as our inheritance. He doesn't only provide what we need physically, but he gives us himself. David's joy then in our text is not primarily in the gifts that God gives, but in God himself. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through a short narrative of my life, okay? So I was... Alice and I got married in 2010. We got our first dog, a female, in 2010. 2012, we got our second dog, a female. Um, in 2014, we had our first daughter, female, Emmeline Hunt. In 2016, we had our second child, Haven, female. <laughs> In 2021, we had our third child, Audra. I always call Audra Haven because I think of Haven as a baby still. But Audra, female, there are five plus Allison, six against me, right? <laughs> six against one is how the, it, it measures up in my life. So as we have added uh, to our household one female after the other, I find myself spending more and more time at places like Home Depot and Lowe's that like make me feel more like a man, right? I'm joking, but that, it's really true too, okay? So whenever my girls like will get me a gift, they're going to say like, oh, there's a Lowe's gift card or a Home Depot gift card or what do you want? Like Father's Day this year. And I said, Allison, I want a table saw. She's like, really? A table saw? I mean, yeah, that's what I want. Something that's loud and powerful and oh, yeah. So here's a joke. So whenever like we're going out for family dates often... 
we'll be driving, and uh, the girls are like, where do you want to go, Daddy? Where should we go for dinner? And I will jokingly tell them, let's go to Home Depot. Let's go to Lowe's. And, you know, they'll say, Daddy, Daddy, we can't eat there. And I say, why not? Why can't we go there for dinner? And they'll go on to explain, you know, they're, they're seven and five. So they'll go on to explain, oh, there's no food. It's not a restaurant. What, are we just going to eat candy for dinner? What are we going to do? So they'll go on to explain. I tell them, oh, you're probably right, right? Like we probably shouldn't go there for dinner. But this is a silly illustration, right? We're laughing, but don't we do this, right? We go to a place looking for safety and security and satisfaction, and it's not going to be provided there. We look for good outside of God. And the truth is, if you look for good outside of God, you're only going to be as satisfied as if you were to take your family to Home Depot for dinner. Do you understand? Like, we don't go to a dentist to get our car fixed. We don't go to McDonald's to get our flu shot. We don't go to the toy store to buy groceries. That's how plain he's making it here. In the same way, we should not go anywhere outside of God to find our refuge and security. The thing is, we often look for good things in the wrong places. They're not bad things you're initially looking for. I'm going to walk through a couple examples so we can kind of flush looks like. Okay, looking for refuge in other things. We're looking for a good thing, okay? So think about we're looking for love and acceptance in your life. But you seek it out only in your spouse, significant other, and your friends. So what are you doing? You're looking for a good thing, right? You're looking for love and acceptance. But you're looking for it apart from God. Tim Keller shared hope. So we turn to Jesus and we are fully loved and fully accepted, more than anyone here could provide. And yet we often will put too much weight in another place. Okay, here's another example. Maybe you're desiring to feel significant and valued. So you talk ill of another person. Spreading gossip, right? You're talking ill of other people to make yourself feel better. So what are you doing in this scenario? You want to feel valued, significant, like you are important. These are good things. Not, those are not non-biblical terms. But you're looking for it in the wrong places. You're tearing other people down to make yourself feel good. But if you relate to go to the Bible and go to the Word and see that you are created in God's image. You are valued, significant, and important to, to God. That you'll find your ultimate value and significance and importance in God alone. So the question, so there's a couple examples to help us flesh it out, right? So the first question you have to ask yourself is, what am I seeking in life? What am I seeking? And then where am I seeking it? Everyone in the room should be able to find something good they're seeking and a place where they're seeking it in the wrong place. Okay? So we have to look down deep and if you look deep, you'll find an idol after idol after idol. And, and once you get there, you can turn to God and realize that it is only Him that truly satisfies us. So remember, this psalm is calling us to full, whole person commitment to the Lord. And the next section, we're going to open up to verse uh, 7. We're going to see what is the result if we have whole commitment to the Lord. What is the result? We're going to see it is confidence. In verse 7 through 8, it says this. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. 
So you see, from the beginning, the result of a commitment to God is confidence in life. And this confidence is provided in the Lord himself. And these, these five verses that we're looking at now, they actually show four key blessings that the Lord provides to his people. Guidance, stability, resurrection, and endless bliss. In verses 7 through 8 that we just looked at, we see the Lord brings counsel. He brings guidance. And this is the Holy Spirit working in your life to show you how to live, to be sanctified. It's the inner work that goes on that brings you closer to the Lord. But now he doesn't only just bring guidance, he brings stability. It tells us that God is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. So no matter where you go, any believer can know that the Lord is with you. By setting the Lord in front of David's eyes, his confidence grows more and more and more. We see in the passage that it says um, that he sets the Lord always before him. And this could be rendered continually. He's always looking to the Lord continually, time after time after time. He's looking to the Lord. And we see that his confidence grows more and more because he knows he is always with him. Verses 9 and 10 go on. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And remember, this is the portion of our text that's used by the apostles to apply to Jesus in the New Testament. Now, earlier I said that Christ, remember, Christ does David stuff. It's not David that does Christ stuff. So David can confidently apply these words to his life knowing that he will live forever. Now, the thing is that he didn't know Jesus' name, but he knew that God would fulfill his promises to bring a Messiah, right? So he is confident in the promises of God. So this text is used as a prophecy, is correctly used as a prophecy that is fulfilled in Jesus. At the same time, it's applied to David's life through the future bloodshed of Jesus. Remember in Greek 1, it was a summer... When I was, first got to seminary, one of my professors wrote, I, he was talking about justification, how people are justified. And he just wrote like Old Testament and then kind of after Christ. And he put the cross in the middle and he put arrows to it. He said, everyone has been, everyone is justified through Jesus. David didn't know Jesus' name, but at the same time, he had faith that God would fulfill his promise to bring him. And you and me today can apply it to our lives because we know Jesus' name. We know that there is one who died on our behalf, that his body did not decay. So we can assure ourselves that we are exempt from corruption because there is one who beat it for us. And Romans 6, 5 explains how we are united to Jesus. It says this, if we are united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So you, believer today, are united to Christ and you'll never see corruption. I want, us to, I want to leave us with Christ and the benefits that come from him. So this passage is appropriately used in the New Testament applying to Jesus, right? So Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, he arose from the dead. And this is what Acts chapter 2 tells us. Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So we get to see in the progressive unfolding of redemptive history that David knew the grave would not conquer him because he was united to God. Someone greater would conquer death on his behalf. So later in the story, we get to see Peter and Paul use this prophetic text 
to bring about this messianic application of this psalm. And the resurrection of Christ brings confidence to them and to us. So remember, God is concerned with the whole person. Remember, we talked about that, a whole commitment. Know that, that in Christ you will be wholly made new. You will never see corruption. So I want to close by reading the last verse that we're in today just to see how our true refuge is found in the Lord alone. It says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So this is what life with Christ looked like. Christ makes known the way of life to you through his Holy Spirit. And the goal of walking close to the Lord in this way of life that he has presented to you, is to be in his presence, at his right hand. And what is the effect? What does the text tell us? Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So following the path of life that God has set before you is actually for your own good. You know, my father's a pastor, and there's a few like phrases that your, your parents will say all the time. And, and my dad told me this since I was a child. Like, following Jesus is just for your own good. Like, if you want to be selfish about it, like, it's the best thing for you. It's because that's why you're created. So I was talking to him that I was preaching this sermon. He actually talked about this in one of his books. So he sent me this huge quote. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit to you. He just says this. Obedience is always in your best interest. It is always best for you to follow the Lord. This is how you were designed, church. You and me were designed to follow God. So let's look to him alone for our refuge. There is no other safe place. Let's pray together. Father, what a comfort we have to know that in a life that is filled with turmoil, that we have a place that is safe. Father, we acknowledge to you that We often turn to other things for safety, for love and acceptance, for value. And Father, we pray that you would open our eyes in those times to turn to you, not to the things of this world. Father, we need you each day. We need to be reminded that you are our true safety and refuge. God, help us with that. Allow us this word to not just fall on our ears now, but continue to ring true in our lives this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.